Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast. I am your host, Tessa Zolli. I am back with Jan Marini today, founder of Jan Marini Skin Research. We have done a lot of podcasts, Instagram lives together. We've answered a lot of skincare questions, but I'm sure many of you know, I really look up to Jan as a role model in business and also I'm just so impressed with her products. I rely on them for my clients. So I look up to her in many aspects. And today we're going to dive more into her personal story and also answer some of your business questions as skin professionals. So Jan, thank you for joining us and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and thank you so much for your kind words. We're so glad to have you. To Art, would you mind telling us, Jan, a little bit about your backstory so we can kind of get to know you as a person? How was your childhood and what inspired you to become the business person you are today? So I was born in San Diego, California, and I was born at Mercy Hospital. And uh, my mom and dad took me home to my three brothers into a very rural part of San Diego and to a little one-bedroom house, and I mean very little, at the end of a dirt road. And this house had a little detached garage that was, I mean, it was decrepit. It was falling down with a dirt floor. And they put three army cots in the garage, and that's where my brothers slept. And Actually, I didn't even have a room. Um, you know, the house had one of these little alcoves in the hallway. And back then, you used to put a phone up on the wall and you'd have a stool so that you could sit and talk on the phone. And they put a bassinet in that little alcove. And my father died when I was eight. So we went from being very poor to literally living in in, in poverty. And, you know, my mother being the, the sole breadwinner. And at that my brothers were they were a lot older than I was so they were kind of pretty much had left home but um we moved around a lot in fact before my teen years I actually went to nine schools in three months and I don't say this because I want people to be sorry for me it's because I really feel that anyone has the possibility of of, of living their passion or just accomplishing what it is that they want to accomplish, what they want to do, and you know how they want to live their life. I am so sorry to hear about your dad's passing at such a young age, Jan. I, I honestly cannot imagine how hard that must have been, especially at such a formative year in your life, eight years old. Do you think losing your dad and, you know, seeing your mom as the person in charge of the household, the sole breadwinner, do you think that was something that motivated you to become a woman in business? You know, that's a great question, Tessa. And I think when I was eight years old and my, my father passed away, um, I'm not really sure at the time that I even understood really what that meant or what the implications were. I, I was kind of numb. And, you know, as a child, you, you, things happen and that are sort of beyond your control and you just sort of go along with them. You don't really have any say. Um, my mother was not educated. And so she worked at very menial jobs. And I, I think that because we were so very poor that in my mind, uh, there was always an emphasis on 
wanting to have a source of revenue, wanting to be independent, wanting to be able to achieve something and, 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 and live a better life. So I don't know that I necessarily looked at my mother as a role model. I think that I saw how hard she worked and how she was unable to find work that really paid well because she didn't have the education and, and maybe didn't think that she was capable of, of, of achieving something else. Um, I think that probably uh, was very formative to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as somebody who runs a company, obviously there's there's a great deal of passion involved. At what point in your life did you realize I I really want to do something I love and and where does passion kind of come into play for you and enjoying what you do every single day? Well, you know, I have to say, and I can't tell you exactly why, but skincare has always been my passion. Even as a child, I was kind of obsessed with skin. Now, it might have been because I, my three brothers had acne, and maybe that was something that was printed in my brain that, you know, that I didn't want to ever have acne. Um, but it, 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 it's kind of always been a passion. Um, but I never really thought of it as this is going to be my life's work. Now, in, in my mind, I kind of separated this passion and wanting to eventually, I, I was an ingredient expert in educating people. So I've been a product researcher for 40 years. And I did a lot of lecturing at colleges. I did a lot of radio and television. I did a lot of lecturing to physicians and medical professionals. But I looked at that as being kind of altruistic. Like that's something that's it's reflective of my passion. Mm. And I looked at how I would bring in revenue in terms of a actually monetizing a career differently. And you know, Tess, this is my fourth business. And my first business that I owned was a training organization for high-tech companies. It wasn't skincare. Now, on the side, I was doing all this these interviews and I was mm-hmm doing a lot of lecturing. So in a sense, I was living my passion, but I didn't look at it from a revenue source. And one day, um, my former husband said to me, you know, you're really kind of missing the boat here. How, how come you're not doing something that's more specific in this, this area? And the fact was at that time, I was doing a radio program that I started off going on as a guest. They were kind of just trying it out. And it was, it was a very hugely listened to radio program. And so I came on for a half hour and answered questions on ingredients, call in questions. And it was so successful that then they had me on once a month. And then they started having me on once a week, literally for an hour or two at a time. It was the most highly rated program. And well, people started to track me down. They wanted to see me in person. They wanted me to recommend things. Well, that's not what I did. And I told people, I said, you know, that's, that's really, that's, that's not even really my business. However, there were two individuals that had really unique concerns. And I thought from an educational standpoint, and also I would recommend things in the marketplace. I thought it would be great to see how it might help them. One of them was a terminal cancer patient that was on a drug that was creating a lot of skin problems. Another one was, um, a a person that had a kidney issue and was uh, on dialysis and the heparin port was actually creating kind of an acne-like condition. So what I did was I decided I would sit down and I would see these individuals. And I thought, you know, I really want to design a process that allows people to be very comfortable, even if they're coming to me willingly, extracting information and establishing credibility and really being able to make someone comfortable and create a bond. Um, and so I came up with the consultation process that really is the basis for what we use today. Now, I have to tell you, I got so much satisfaction from this that I started just kind of seeing people on the side here and there. And that's pretty much when my former husband said, well, you know, you really should turn this into a business. And I have to tell you at the time I was kind of like indignant, like, 
you know, this, this is my, this is my mission in life. I, I can't make money on it. And so what I did was I brought in, so I wouldn't align myself with a particular product because I wanted to be objective. I actually brought in mixing bases and ingredients where I could literally, if I were talking with you, I could then turn around and actually make a product for you right there, mix it up. And so um, it, it actually, it turned into quite a business because what I ended up doing, I sold off my training organization. I saw two people in the morning, two people in the afternoon. So it wasn't like I was, you know, working from dawn to dusk. And at the, at the end of the first year, I was going at the rate of a million dollars a year after cost of product and forecasted for 2 million the next year. Now I started that business from nothing. And this is what I mean is that if you have a passion, if there's something you really want to do, you can find a way to do it. And during that time, I began working with glycolic acid. Now glycolic acid, you couldn't walk into a drugstore or a department store and get a glycolic acid product. It didn't exist commercially. You could get it for cleaning stains off your driveway and grease out of car engines. And there were these two doctors, Dr. Rui Yu and Dr. Van Scott, who were starting to write about using glycolic acid as a peeling agent and also for acne scarring. Well, they couldn't even get their hands on it. They had to go through this pharmacy in, in, in New York. I mean, it just was very difficult to get to. Well, I started working with it and I actually started designing products. And I was working with a compounding pharmacist. Now, one day this compounding pharmacist said, Jan, you know, just, I think it might be interesting for you to know, there are actually patents on glycolic acid. I don't want you to get into trouble. Well, it turned out that Dr. Van Scott and Dr. Ruyu had the patents. Now, they didn't think that glycolic acid was going to be the next big commercial product. They thought it was great for peels, but they also had patents on lactic acid, and they had licensed them to Westwood, and lactic acid at that time was a prescription product. Now, I did some research, and I found out that they had a friend that owned a little pharmaceutical company in Virginia, and they had given him the right to make a, a product with glycolic. And I thought, okay, I will get a hold of this person and see if they can make a product for me so that I'll be under the license. And so um, I, I put the idea out there and and he very politely said, well, we can't do third-party manufacturing. It's not under our licensing agreement. I thought about that, called him back, and I said, well, what if you made a product for me that was under one of your names that you're already licensed for? And he said, well, that's an interesting idea, but, you know, I can't afford to do that. I thought about it, and I called him back, and I said, well, what if I financed it? And that's how MD Formulations, MD Forte, came into being. So that was my third company, and that was my first commercial skincare company. And so then I made a decision at that point, too. I was going to market it through physicians, which was unheard of. And, I mean, literally, doctors were incensed. They were offended at the idea that somebody would think that they would be selling things out of their office. Um, but of course that's history. And uh, eventually the company in 1994 was sold to Allergan. And it was also the first time that a pharmaceutical company bought a skincare company in the professional market. Because, you know, it was just such, it was, it was in its infancy, really, that whole marketplace. And so then, uh, you know, I, w I always tell the story how literally um, on July 1st, 1994, I took down the MD formulation sign and put up the Jamarini Skin Research sign. And, you know, I think that I, I, I love being an entrepreneur. There's upsides and downsides, but, you know, when it comes down to it, and you kind of take away any semblance of glamour, if anybody thinks it's glamorous, <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of hard work. It is 
perseverance. It is, um, in a sense, you kind of put on blinders and it's like having rocks thrown at you all the time and you just keep walking through it. It's, um, you know, you, you, you constantly fail, but you can't dwell on your failures. It's, you can't, in my opinion, um, I never wanted to follow in someone else's footprints. I wanted to create my own path. Um, and the other thing is, is that you can imagine when I went into the physician marketplace, when I decided to pioneer that, you know, people always say to me, well, what advice did you get? Well, you know, advice can be good and advice can be bad. I'll tell you the advice I got, don't do it. It's not going to work. That's a crazy idea. Doctors aren't going to carry products in their office. So I, you have to put that, listen, to, and it's hard sometimes because here's somebody who maybe is very successful and they have tremendous respect yes. and maybe what they're telling you is true. Um, and the other thing is, this is, this is really key in business. Your last sale is not why you're successful. You're successful because of your first sale. And there's something that I call proof of concept. And that is if you've got a business idea, no matter how crazy it is, and you go out and you find one person that adopts it. All I needed was to find one doctor. If one doctor will do it, I guarantee you another doctor will do it. And you know what? I'll get better and better at it every time. I'll enhance it. I'll embellish on it. And so it was just really, for me, it was finding that one doctor. Do you feel like you were always somebody who had, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit or kind of, did you think of yourself as a business person or do you think that kind of came with trial and error? You know, I think that for me, um, shoot, I had a lot of little jobs along the way because I wanted to work as soon as I could, as, as, you know, whether it was a babysitter, um, I remember fudging about, I won't say lying, but I fudged about my age so that I could actually get a real job. And, um, so, you know, doing all kinds of things, working in a drugstore, selling shoes, all of that. But I think my biggest fear, it was actually a fear was of working for someone else who somehow would hold me back because either they have an idea of exactly how business should be, or there was not the ability to really move ahead as quickly as I wanted to, or to be my own boss. I wanted to be my own boss. So I, I always had that sense. And I will tell you, I did have, okay, before I owned my first business, I did have an actual, another career. And, um, and there's kind of a, a, a funny story connected with that, but I, ended up managing the second most requested Holiday Inn out of uh, roughly 2,500 in the world. So number one was Hawaii. And number two was the one in Monterey on the beach. I, I now, might have seen there before. Holiday Inn anymore. I think it's the Monterey Beachfront Inn or something like that. Okay. It was a Holiday Inn. And at that time, there was a moratorium where you could not build anything along the coastline. So this had gotten in just under the moratorium. So you can imagine it was like the only hotel literally right on the water. And um, so I, I actually was, I ran that hotel and, um, and again, you know, I was still lecturing on skincare and it was before I founded my, my first business focusing on high tech. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that I, and, and, and in that business, that's something that validated the fact that I liked being my own boss because it, nobody told me what to do. And I was actually the youngest manager at that time in the history of Holiday Inn. I think I was 23 at the time. Um, but it was really exhilarating to know that I could make things happen and that I could actually um, have some leadership influence. So it was a wonderful, in a sense, it was a wonderful training ground. And, and again, very validating. 
and and very freeing to not have anyone necessarily tell you here's your ceiling this is when you need to show up this is your pay rate there's definitely a lot of autonomy with working for yourself what would you say is a more challenging aspect of of being the boss well i think that um for me so so first of all i am a risk taker but I take calculated risks. So I always look at what's the best thing that could happen, what's the worst thing that could happen. If the worst thing that could happen isn't that bad, then I'll take the risk. But, you, you know, there's that cliche, the buck stops here. And so while you have that exhilaration of, of, of being an entrepreneur and sort of being in control, so to speak, um, there's a couple of things that are really challenging. One is that if you're financing it, then you're, you have all the liability and you know, you never know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you wake up and you, th you had a great day the day before you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I didn't have COVID, but there were so many things along the way that can put you out of business and, and take everything. Um, so I, I think that that is a challenge. And the other thing, that's a real challenge and it's also a pitfall. Okay. So you're an entrepreneur. And one of the things I love is I love being able to do everything. Like I love marketing and I love education and I love product development and all of that. That doesn't mean you're good at everything. You know, you might be, actually you might be relatively good, but it doesn't mean that you're really excellent at everything. So as you grow your business, you have to get to a point where you are willing, if you're going to be a world-class company, you have to be willing to give up some control. That is really, really hard because it's a very delicate balance. When you're an entrepreneur, you have a vision, you're executing that vision. And so it's, you have to find somebody who can truly execute that vision. You know, how many stories do you hear about where, somebody brings in a CEO or something and all of a sudden the product quality goes down or there are things that happen that are actually detrimental. Now, believe me, along the way, I kissed a lot of frogs. And then about 13 years ago, um, I brought on a gentleman by the name of John Connors who actually took Qterra laser public. And he was an extraordinary human being, an extraordinary leader, and very strategic, and somebody who is able to execute the vision, and even enhance on it, and, you know, kind of take it apart piece by piece, because there's so many moving pieces in terms of international and domestic, and how do you build a culture, and how do you make sure that that culture is trickles down into your sales force, into every aspect of the company, and, and how do you just make this a company that is not only it's a good product, but it's a great company, a great company. And so I've been very, very blessed, but it was hard to do that. But then what it does is it allows you to really focus back on your, your passion and the things that you really are good at, like talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I feel like that's the, the place I am in right now with my business personally i'm a solopreneur right now i i do everything i don't have any employees and I, i'm sure a lot of people listening especially esthetician business owners can relate who are nervous because they've you know built something so special but obviously you need to scale to grow and have a larger level of success how do you, how did you kind of release that control? Maybe even with like the first couple people you hired, how did you know it was the right time? And how did you kind of relinquish control? Uh, you know, oh yeah, great question because it was so much, it was, well, it was stressful, but it was a lot of fun. I liked doing everything. Yeah. And at times where I maybe, 
Okay, I hadn't, I had, a, I had one employee, two employees. So in the very beginning with MD formulations, I had someone who was really more administrative, but she ended up becoming my general manager. And I had somebody who shipped product out every day. That was it. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, as time goes on, you do, as your business grows, you do find that you just can't do everything. Yeah. So it's, it's not too hard to hand something off. Like for example, you hire an accountant because I'm not an accounting expert. Sure. Or you hire an HR person that has to deal with, you know, all the various issues that go on. Um, so you, you, it kind of happens organically in a way, but it's when you start to get into building an infrastructure of middle and upper management, because I was famous for giving somebody a project and then basically doing it myself <laughs> because, yeah. um, but you know, one of the things that I, John Connors has been able to do is to attract tremendous talent. And I will tell you, these are people in our senior staff that what they do, they do it better than I do it. Yeah. You know, for example, I have somebody who is my vice president of marketing, but he also heads up clinical and he has, he has, he has a degree in, in bioscience. He has a laser patent. He can write white papers. I don't have any interest in writing, writing white paper. I've written tons of training manuals. That's enough. Educational manuals. Um, and I mean, th these are such talented people. So again, um, I've been very blessed and it, 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 took a long time to kind of get to that point because sometimes you, you find somebody you think and you, you know, it's hard to trust people and, and maybe they're not the right person. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to have that oversight and being, if you will, controlling until you do find somebody that really can execute that the way it needs to be executed. And I suppose at the end of, of the day, we have to know, right, that that's so important to do and it's a little bit uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. without, you know, all the other people behind your business, it wouldn't be what it is today. Oh gosh. When I think I have like, I mean, I look, it's kind of like, okay, one of the things that I used to do as I used to make all my own clothes on the side. And when I got it made, I'd look at it and go, oh my God, how did you do that? Because, you know, you have all these little intricacies, but it's really, it's one piece at a time, right? Now I look back and I think, oh my God, I've got like 55 sales reps. I have a whole, you know, education department. I think we've got eight educators. You know, I have marketing, I have finance, I have HR, and we're not talking about just, you know, when we're talking about a lot of people, I have two videographers now and I'm just like, you know, the huge shipping department. And I'm like, Oh my, <laughs> how did I get there? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but, but at the same time, it's just wonderful because I know that the infrastructure is really strong and the integrity is there, the integrity of the vision. And it allows me to do, what, you know, because I still do uh, formulas and product development and all the research, you know, development, that type of thing. Although I do have a vice president of research and development, Dr. Saxena, who's incredibly brilliant and talented. Mm, and you can bring in, you know, all of their expertise from right. the medical field. So yes, exactly. yeah, it just goes to show you also want to hire people who have skills you don't have and who can do certain things better than you. Exactly. And, you know, like Dr. Saxena, he's actually put drugs through the FDA, put retin-A micro through the FDA. Um, mm. And he's, he's a regulatory expert. Mm. So there's just that, again, a lot of that expertise that yeah. when you scale up in terms of your products and you do so much toxicity testing and you do so much, you know, the analysis and the batches and it's going all over the world is, you know, you, you need that, but you don't need all that in the beginning. That's the, the other thing, you know, yeah. I'll tell you the thing, Tessa, is that in my opinion, 
I think one of the things that people do is they get into this paralysis where they're like, okay, I have to have a five-year plan. I have to have everything in place. I have to know exactly what I'm going to do. Now, do we have, probably, do we have five-year plans and forecasts now? We probably do. <laughs> I should probably know that, right? But the thing was, in the beginning, it was not for me. It was you get out there and you do it. It make, you make it happen. There is no five-year plan. There's no forecast that's going to predict all of the challenges you come up against. You go, get in there and you have to work and you have to persevere every single day. And what you're doing is you're growing it. And you're growing it, it's like anything that you grow. It has a personality. You can't predict these things something you're kind of referring to is that momentum and trusting once you do have some buyers and you do have that proof of concept and there's clear interest in, in your product and what you're doing, kind of going with that and trusting it, which is hard because you can't see ahead. You can't see five years into the future. And, you know, the other thing that I think is derails some people and particularly, let's say in an industry where for years, we still do this, but for years, I would do as much as 30 or 40 trade shows a year, medical trade shows. And I was also going over the country and I was, I was teaching, I was putting on classes, um, you know, to large groups of people, you know, at least one or two a month besides all these trade shows. And so I'd be home for, you know, a couple of days, hit the road, home for a couple of days, hit the road. And so all the time you are exposed to an industry. This is a very young industry, the professional market. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's not an industry that's been around 200 years. It's a young industry in the doctor market, 1989, 1990. That's a young industry. So you're in this industry that's incredibly competitive. People are out there talking trash about you. That happens a lot. And so one of the things that I think is, is so important is that you never obsess about the competition. Compete with yourself. And I remember when uh, companies would spring up literally overnight. And I'm going to say, you know, probably 90% of them aren't even around anymore. But I used to send flowers and I used to say, congratulations on starting your company. And, you know, welcome yeah. to the industry. I wish you the best. Because yeah. I always figured... If that person wants to ever say anything bad about me, what are they going to say? She's a horrible person. She sent me flowers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your enemies close and send them flowers. And, you know, so and the thing is, is again, it's you really just, you compete with yourself. I love that. In terms of like your early career, Jan, was there, was there ever anyone that really validated what you were doing or was it mostly just you you knew you had a vision and kind of believed in yourself well you know in terms of the skincare industry I gotta tell you um the our primary marketplace initially was physicians and our biggest marketplace is still physicians and then secondarily it's skincare licensed skincare professionals you know with qualification and all that. And I don't think I'd be here today if it weren't for all of the skincare professionals. It's just such a, a wonderful industry. And I'll, let, I'll, I'll kind of explain that a little further. A lot of times a physician, they have to be very objective. So you go, say you went to a physician and you had some kind of an infection and the doctor said, Tessa, I'm going to prescribe penicillin for you because I love penicillin. It's my favorite drug. I take it every day, even though I'm not sick because it makes me look so good. Doctors deal with thousands of drugs. They're very impartial. They've never taken them for the most part. They are very objective, but skincare professionals are passionate. And you know, if you ask your skincare professionals, so what do you use? What do you like? What do you recommend? They're like, you should try this. Look what it did for my skin. I had this problem. And I and that it's it's being able to have that wonderful passion that's that's without that, you know, objectivity, and not that objectivity isn't good, and have somebody passionate about your product. 
and have them talking all the time about the wonderful results they've had and the, the, the support and the belief and all of that is just amazing. I, I wouldn't be here today. I always say, whenever I'm interviewed, I always say, you know, the people that are watching, thank you so much because I wouldn't be here without you. And that's yeah. just a fact. Yeah. I think estheticians are amazing. And I, I really value what we do because like you said, it's the passion and, and not only seeing the results in ourselves, but almost conducting like little case studies every single day with our clients. We see them on an ongoing basis. So I get to see what the skincare management system does for Sally and Susie and so, so many people over time. So I agree with you. The last question I want to ask before we get into some of the Instagram questions is what is your daily routine? I kind of want to hear, you know, secrets to your success as far as how do you structure your day? Are there certain things that you feel like you need to do in your life to really have a strong foundation to go out there and and kill it every single day? Well, you know, I already mentioned like the perseverance and tenacity and stubbornness, and that's can be a good thing and it can also be a negative. But I'll tell you one thing that I truly believe in, and I think it's a commonality among people, entrepreneurs or people that have been successful in business. And that is my life's blood is my to-do list. I have a to-do list. I, to this day, I have a to-do list. And sometimes maybe the priorities on that to-do list may change, but I know exactly what it is that I need to do. The minute I think of something, um, you know, I'll actually, I have the luxury today, I'll pick up the phone at home and leave a message for my assistant, Katie, and I'll say, Katie, I need to do this or I need to do that. Because it's, it's keeping that focus, that constant focus on not necessarily what you can do, but what you need to do. What is a priority? And a to-do list is really this incredible tool that keeps you focused. You've got to be focused. Um, I do get more sleep these days, not a whole lot, but you know, it used to be. I have to tell you, when I was first starting MD Formulations, MD Forte, and glycolic acid was so, I mean, well, nobody knew about it. And first of all, just the name glycolic acid. So I came up with this, um, this ad that had all kinds of, of medical comments on glycolic acid. And, and then later we also had an ad where, where it showed an onion and you're peeling back the skin, which was a great graphic. But anyway, what I did was, because there wasn't an internet, there wasn't mailing lists, I, had, I called, literally got a hold of every literally state board in the U.S. and, and, and got an esthetician list which you had to, sometimes it wasn't even stickers. You had to hand address it. And I would stay up literally all night addressing <laughs> to send out to literally every skincare professional or every doctor, you know, to, to interest them in these products. And um, so anyway, I'm not sure where I was going with that. But Now you get more sleep. Yes, now I get to get more sleep. <laughs> Good. No travel as much either. You know, yeah. with COVID kind of stopped the traveling cold. Yeah. But, um, but I discovered I discovered IG Live and podcasts. So Yes, yes. And we're glad to have you. Okay, so Jan, we did collect some questions from Instagram, some business related questions people have with you. So one I have from Sitco Skin is what are your best tips for hiring? She also asks, what do you ask in a hiring interview? Well, you know, I think it depends on, I think it depends a lot on the business. Um, So, so first of all, I'm going to come kind of come at this maybe from a little different perspective. Obviously, you want someone who has the ability to deliver a good service. 
What is their skill? You know, what type of facials do they do? You know, that's important. But what is equally, if not more important, is you want someone who can communicate. Now, a skincare business is incredibly labor intensive. And it's, you, you have very, a lot in common with plastic surgeons and physicians because it's also very labor intensive. If somehow that plastic surgeon isn't operating all the time, just like you're not doing facials all the time, there's no revenue coming in. So you think about this and you think about, okay, I've got to have this labor intensive business. I have to keep having customers come in and they want services. But really, you need to be able to take your business to a point where you have revenue coming in that's less labor intensive. That is critical. And it, we know from COVID what happens when you have a labor intensive business. So you need to hire people that are really good communicators. And unfortunately, a lot of practitioners do not want to sell. It's like they consider selling somehow to be a bad thing. I'm here to help people. I'm here to do something that's hands-on. You know, the skincare professional and the anesthesiologist have a lot in common. The, a lot of times an anesthesiologist, you know why they become an anesthesiologist? Because they don't have to talk to people. They're asleep. And it's like what you do at home as a client is going to be so much more important than what you coming in for a service. The service gets you there further. The service can do things that maybe you can't do at home, but it's critical. So you want someone who can communicate and you want to come up with a process that takes away the tension and it takes away the conflict with talking about product. And that's something that in, I have focused on intensely, you know, so Jan Marini Skin Research is like 27 years old. The backbone of this business is that process. And if I had a focus group and I said to them, so tell me, how do you start the conversation about skincare? Here's what I would hear. Well, I ask them um, what they don't like about their products. Okay, so what if they say, oh, I like everything about my products? Well, I ask them how they like to uh, change their products. Okay, well, gee, you know, there's a cosmeceutical section at Target. And I buy my products there and they're less expensive and I think they work just fine. Now what do you do? You just shut up. <laughs> so you want to have a process. And that's what we've done. We've come up with a process that eliminates that. And it makes it so that you can be so successful. And the other thing is, is that, I know it works. I know I did it myself. When I was going at the rate of a million dollars a year after cost of product, I did it myself doing nothing but consultations. I've never done a facial in my life and I am licensed. So oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. I am. And <laughs> I got licensed when I was putting empty formulations together because the glycolic peels were so big. And I thought, what if I have to demonstrate when I need a license? So here I was running a business and going part-time to school at night because back then, even if you had a nurse's license, which I don't, you couldn't do glycolic peels. You had to have an esthetician license in the state of California. But anyway, so uh, it's, it's really important to have somebody that is enthusiastic about that process and that you're able to have a process that is very... Um, uh, intellectualized in place because if people can step into that process, you get people that come from all different disciplines and you want to be able to design a culture and have them step into it where the learning curve is much quicker, where there's a way to be able to evaluate what they're doing because we're all singing off the same sheet of music. We're all doing the same thing. And so that you can evaluate and you can also determine exactly how successful it's hard to determine if somebody's successful is one's telling it one way and one's telling it another way so that is so critical when you're hiring somebody and also establishing ahead of time that you have a process can they step into that process are they willing to be part of that culture and not sit there and say well no i do i do things my own way this is how mm -hmm. i you know mm -hmm. we should be doing them
Mm-hmm. That's probably the most critical thing. If if you had a spa, just theoretically, would you prefer to hire somebody brand new who who doesn't know much? or somebody with a very high skill set who has been doing things possibly like their own way for a little while? Uh, I think that there's, I think there's both because, you know, there could be somebody who's new, but shows tremendous promise. There could be somebody that has a high skill set. I think, again, it's about establishing in advance exactly what your expectations are. A lot of times you just hire somebody because you think they're capable, Mm -hmm. but you don't really tell them this is how, I do business. Mm. This is you to do business. And also, uh, 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 and showing them how also this is going to make them more successful and how they're going to be able to participate in that, you know, that revenue source. Um, You know, their earning capacity goes up. So I I think it's it's a combination of both. And frankly, if I did have a spa business, I'm going to tell you something. Mm -hmm. I would hire somebody that prop maybe was licensed, not licensed. You know, I, I would hire somebody though that was absolutely spectacular at sales because what I would do is I would also have clients who could come and just have a consultation. Or for certain services, I would say to somebody, if somebody's booking a certain service, like maybe a series appeals to me and say, so what we're going to do is on your first appointment, you're, you know, I need you to come in this much earlier because we're going to sit down and actually really work with you in terms of what your goals are and how we're going to really enhance that and how what, what it is we're trying to address. And so they sit down and they go through a, a consultation and they know exactly what they need to do, what they can do to enhance it. And so I, I'd have somebody that does nothing but consultations. And I actually used to have a, a comparison sheet. And it was, if you, it's, it was a sheet that we essentially worked with physicians on this. And we would say, doctor, what do you think, how many patients do you think you need to see a day to get to a million dollars a year in revenue after cost of product? Well, you know, the answer, I don't know, 100, 200? You know what the answer is? Four people a day. How many people a day? Four people a day. What it is, is if you were selling four skincare management systems a day, by the end of the second year, you'd be at a million dollars. Five days a week? Pardon? Four. Five days a week? Four? Okay. Yeah, and you know, the, 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 and we did a comparison between okay, you hired somebody and they're going to do this many services. What's the most services you can do today? Six or eight? And somebody who's doing six or eight consultations. And the comparison is astounding. We actually would show, we actually, the chart would go to $4 million a year. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really, and it was based on, it was based on an average sale of, I think, um, Oh my God, it was like much less than our skincare management system. It was a very conservative chart. And, um, you know, I still talk to people about that today, but it's, that's really what you want your goal to be is not just leave and they've had a, a, a pleasing procedure or facial, but that you have got that connected revenue source. And how do you do that? And how do you keep them connected? How do you gain that credibility? You know, yeah, sure. Somebody can go online somewhere and, and go to a website and, and, and get product. Um, but it, believe me, I guarantee you there are ways around that. I would actually love to hear more. That's a challenge I run into all the time, you know, putting the time into educating about a product, marketing, and and then having customers kind of go elsewhere, get the same thing on another website. I think a lot of professionals struggle with that, especially in the social media space. Do you have any advice there? You know, it's it's really about a lot of it. And I'm going to say that there's there's no there's no vaccine or inoculation to guarantee that that doesn't happen. But so much of it is about is about that bond you create and about how you have taken that person 
um, from some type of really uh, a skin condition. You know, well, let me let me back up a little bit. You know, the beginning of the consultation process, and I don't care if I'm talking to a world famous doctor or an A-list celebrity. I ask them the same question exactly like this: If there was something you could change or improve about your skin, what would it be? So somebody says, well, and by the way, nobody has ever said, Jan, I have perfect skin. When I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror and I look like I've been walking the red carpet all night. I don't have any concern at all. Never happens. So usually they give you your number one concern. Maybe they break out once in a while. And I say, well, what else would you like to change or improve? Well, I have large pores. Well, I have some brown spots. I have some just whatever it is. There's usually three or four things. That's the runway. Now, you can't address everything at once necessarily, but if I can, for example, give them complete total clearing, and then we start working on discoloration, and we start working on acne scarring, and I mean, transform their skin. They never know the end of the story. They're dependent on me. There's a dependency. And so it's about creating that dependency and creating that relationship and, and, and about that constant attention. You know, when I occasionally do a consultation for a celebrity or a major influencer. I check back within four days of the time that they've got the product. I check back again and I tell them, I tell them at the end of the consultation, I'll say to them, you know, you're going to really see very rapid results. But a month, if a month from now you tell me your skin is the best it's ever been, I can get it a whole lot better. And I can. But you know what? Amazon can't. Amazon doesn't know what the end of that story is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I tell them that I'm going to be modifying their program. I'm going to be evaluating it. Seasons change. Their skin changes. But it's very sticky because we're working with solutions. Nobody needs another product. People need solutions. So it's very sticky. As a practitioner, you need to be able to give people complete total clearing for acne. Okay, there's no cure. But if you say, well, gee, they're 50% better. What about the other 50%? You need to be able to address, to have real solutions for discoloration or for rosacea. There's no cures, but you need to be able to manage it. And if you can do that and develop that relationship, it is very sticky. I guarantee you. Okay, so speaking of of retail shades of skin beauty bar wants to know tips for for selling retail i know you've said it's more about the solution not just selling product but obviously you do have sales teams and and you know a lot about sales aside from that are there any other tips you could share you know i i think that um the other thing that i would say and this is and i don't mean this to sound self-serving But so many times a business owner looks at retail from the perspective of, well, I want to have as many options and please as many people, so therefore I will carry a number of lines. Now, on the surface, that seems like a good thing, but it's not. And I'll tell you why it's not. Because you have everybody in your business has to become an expert on every single line. That's difficult. And then you're mixing and matching and you really don't have a a really good understanding or focus of what's working and what's not working. And believe me, it's not about having all these options. It's about having the solution. And if you can get your individuals to be a true expert on a product line that truly is able to address all of these different skin concerns, you're going to be so much more successful and these individuals will be so much more confident. Makes sense. Okay. We also have a lot of questions asking for marketing tips. What would you say? And so, so marketing tips in terms of how to increase the brand or how to increase their awareness. Yeah. So I guess, again, going back to the example of if you owned a spa, Mm -hmm. how would you try to increase awareness about your spa? One of the things that I would do 
is I would, um, first of all, and I was never an expert in social media and I'm still not, but let me tell you something. I would either hire somebody or I would become an expert in social media because it's an audience leveler. Think about this. You could have an Estee Lauder, a Lancome, and they're doing social media and you're doing social media. You don't pay for it. They don't pay for it. You can have that opportunity to get your brand out there through the same avenues. So lots of social media and um, I, you know, Instagram, all these things. And for example, I actually work directly one-on-one with resellers. And if a reseller is really enthusiastic and they're committed, one of the things that I offer is that they can interview me on various subjects, whether it's acne, it's rosacea, it, it, there's huge list of subjects, you know this, Tessa. And it enables them to not only attract a greater audience, but to connect with their audience, to educate their audience, and it increases the revenue, can increase the revenue tremendously. I've also done things, I've had resellers that have connections with influencers. I've done things where, for example, we set up a time where they get all the influencers together on a Zoom. And I talk to the influencers about a technology or about acne or about something that's relevant. So now what are they doing? They're writing about it and they're writing about that business. So now all of a sudden you've got a little army of people out there that are getting exposure. And, you know, there's so many different things that one can do, but I will tell you one of the things that we offer to our resellers um, when they open with us with certain opening orders is we have something called the TAP program, T-A-P. T is in Tom, A is in Apple, P is in Peter. The TAP program is, is a world famous woman who runs this. And um, what it is, is that for a period of time, and I can't remember if it's three months or something, they go through this program for free. It's either three or six months, something like that, but they get it for free. And this is a program that typically costs like $30,000 a year. And I'm going to tell you, every single person who's gone through this program has said that it has completely changed their business. It's changed their revenue. It's changed everything about their business. I mean, this is, this is top notch. This is, you could be a fortune 500 company and go through this, but specifically it is designed to really work with people that have businesses just like these professionals. And it's extraordinary. Is, is the program sales and business focused? It is. Well, I'll give you an example. I just have yeah. to see. So um, create a patient experience to boost retention and referrals. Okay. Um, leverage retail and e-commerce to double your revenue. We're talking about right away. Um, uh, stand out from your competition and how to do that. Um, how to build a loyalty program. Um, how to uh, leverage certain things in terms of a business strategy. Hiring people. You know, how to hire people. Um, it, it, it just goes on and on. That's just a, a few of the ones that um, I just happened to, to pull this out recently. I was looking at it. I want to sign and, up. <laughs> and I mean, I, I was just, uh, I did an IG live with somebody not long ago out of Las Vegas. And she, she just raved when we were, you know, offline. She was just telling me, she said, this has really changed my life. It's changed my whole business. It is mm. I, he, she said, I do things so differently, but in terms of the revenue, in terms of the impact that it's made. Yeah. I think, you know, something I'm getting from what you've said is, is number one, you really have to show your face. And I think it's a, a testament that you put a lot of your time out of all the things you do. You put a lot of your time in the marketing and interfacing with the people who are actually using the products and you really value providing education and resources and, and making them better professionals. Well, you know, Tessa, um, so first of all, a lot of times when people come here to apply as a salesperson, they're like, oh, I'm so passionate about products and I just 
want everybody to use Jamarini and I just think it's the best product. And you know what? We don't hire people because they know about the product. We hire people who are strategists and business people. Now that doesn't mean that they don't learn about product because you can have the best product in the world and doesn't mean that people are going to be successful because you've got to have the best company. You have to partner in this business. You're out there alone. You said it yourself in the beginning. You're out there alone. You know what? You don't have to be alone. We partner with people and we can take them from A to Z. It's like going to college, business college, and really, really helping them to be successful. And yes, it helps to have a great product. You need that as a foundation. But we want to really partner with people. We want to be a company that can help you to be successful and not feel like you're out there alone. And, you know, one of the things that we did when COVID happened and, oh, my God, people were like, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I rent on my building, rent on my, you know, my apartment or my house or whatever. I mean, it was so scary. It was, it was terrifying for everyone, terrifying for me. And one of the things that we did is immediately, literally, I mean, within a couple of days is we reached out to our resellers and we said, look, here's what we, we, we'll, we'll do for you. We will put together a mailer. We will help you to disseminate that to everybody that's in your client base. And we will put on for you specifically a Zoom on a project, like, for, you know, on anti-aging or on acne or whatever. And we will, you can, we will even um, disseminate the product for you through our website. Because at, in the beginning, at least in California, you couldn't even stand outside of your building and hand somebody a package. So we actually became the delivery system for that. And we charged something mm -hmm. like, I can't remember, some nominal fee to do this ridiculous fee. And so that people could stay in business. And I remember getting letters and saying, I'm sitting here writing this letter and I'm crying because you literally saved my business and saved my life. And so I, I can't tell you how passionate I'm about that as well. I've been there. I know what it's like to be in business. I know what it's like to have that challenge and that tremendous weight on your shoulders. And, um, you know, you don't have to do it alone. No one can do it for you, but you don't have to do it alone. I love that. Jan, the last question I want to end on is, what do you think it means to be a business person? What are some, some things you think, you know, all of us could focus on or do a little bit better to be really savvy professionals? Well, oh, there's, gosh, there's so much to that. But for me, I think it means your passion um, and, and, and it's, it's being a leader. It's your passion, but it's also your integrity. That's so important. Your belief system, um, your um, willingness to really put yourself in someone else's shoes. And also another thing that I'll tell you, and I think this is it being, you know, about an entrepreneur or being in business, but you know that where they say to people, they say, well, if you could only have one trait, would it be humor or would it be this or that or the other, or two traits or three traits? And for me, it would be curiosity, compassion, and empathy. And I think curiosity is so important. I am curious about everything. I want to know everything about everything. And that curiosity is also so important in business because you want to learn, you want to grow, and you want to constantly be better. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's another thing that's just so important is that curiosity and never losing that. Mm. That's one of the things I love about this podcast and selfishly, it's such a great tool because I get to meet amazing people like yourself, but yeah, the curiosity, I feel like 
having the podcast and being able to ask questions and, and never feeling like I know it all, it really keeps me motivated and keeps me connected to the industry. Keeps me excited too. Yeah, it does, you know, because you're always learning and, and it's always something that's just coming up that, that inspires you and motivates you and yeah or you'll you'll hear a little a little piece of something and that that kind of sets your your brain in a whole another direction or gets you thinking another way well this was amazing jan thank you so much as always for your time we love having you thank you it was such a pleasure i can't wait until our next (laughs) segment and, and um everybody i wouldn't be here without you so thank you Thank you, Jan. I'll have your information linked in the show notes. Thanks everybody for listening and tuning in week after week. I so appreciate it. And I will talk to you in the next episode next week. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Treatment Room Podcast with the amazing Jan Marini of Jan Marini Skin Research. If you're curious about trying some of Jan's products, I can help. Just send an email to tessaskinconsulting at gmail.com with the subject line Jan Marini to place your order. Your order always ships free and fast care of Pomp Beauty. It also helps to support my small business, this podcast, and the education of other skin professionals. Jan Marini is the winner of more New Beauty Awards than any other line. It's beloved by celebrities for the results, and it's backed by multiple peer-reviewed studies published in medical journals. Not only is Jan Marini transformative for your skin, it's a line that you'll want to use every single day. For more information, check out the show notes for details, and thanks again for listening.